The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House podcast. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Alex Sear. Now, for folks who don't know Alex, Alex is the lead for digital HR transformation at Mercer. Thumbs highly recommended to the show. We've had several people recommend that we speak to Alex around the issue of HR and digital transformation in that space. So Alex, it's a pleasure to welcome you on. I know you're in Richmond, Virginia this morning. Great to see you. Great to see you, Nick. I'm so excited to be able to be here. Alex, really looking forward to our discussion today. Slightly different podcast to our usual format and really looking forward to learning and sharing with our audience, our insurance leadership audience, all around digital HR and what we should be looking out for at this present time. Alex, before we get into that, though, as we are in the insurance coffee house today, what's your go-to coffee of choice this morning? You know, Nick, I am, I'm a little boring on the coffee side. Coffee is very, very important to me, but it is just a regular medium blend breakfast blend with just a little bit of milk. And that's my go-to each morning. That's the first thing we do when we wake up here. We've both got young children, so it's absolute staple at the start of the day. Alex, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your career and your background and what's brought you into space and leading the digital HR transformation team there at Mercer? Yeah, Nick, that's a great question. And if you asked me if this is what I wanted to do when I started my career 15 years ago, I had absolutely no idea what this was called. I had no idea I would end up in consulting. To be honest, I'm not even sure I really understood what human resources was at the time. (laughs) How I ended up falling into this was a focus on how organizations manage their people? How do they build relationships with their workforce? And recognizing that I'd be a member of that workforce and everyone around me, my family, my friends, we spend a third of our lives at work. I was really interested in this question. I constantly asked myself, could we make work better? As I started to explore what I was passionate about in that space, I understood that technology and data were huge drivers in how organizations think about their people, how they make decisions about their people. And while we as an individual employee every day might not see or feel that, there's a ton going on behind the scenes. And so I had a lot of passion in that space. And I I fell into it initially actually in analytics. For those of you who understand HR technology, um, I started my career in PeopleSoft reporting. It was very dry. I wrote a lot of queries, but I was lucky enough to know our people data when the organization that I was working at, Time Inc., went through our fifth, sixth, and seventh CEOs in seven years. And so I ended up at a pretty early point in my career answering a lot of big questions for our executive leadership team, like who has the skills that we need to transition into a digital role? 
that time, Inc., we were trying to turn a print publishing company into a digital media brand. We had these print editors and we needed digital media brand leaders. And I'd get asked who could do it? Who could we move over? I had absolutely no (laughs) way to answer that question. So as I looked at the data that we had access to and how I could analyze it, I started to push to build more robust HR systems to capture different data, to look at the organization in a different way. And I was lucky enough, I got to be an early adopter of of Vizier. Analytics technology helped them build that platform. And I also got to put in an early implementation of Workday to help change how we looked at the organization. And as I started to do that, I realized we're kind of just picking up a lot of the same things that we've done in the past and putting them in this really expensive, shiny new system. What's going to change? What will actually change for me as an analytics leader who wants different data? But why would someone use this? Why would employees be interested in using this? And so I went on my own personal journey around the data is really important and we need to get it. But how do we create great experiences so that our employees, our people leaders actually use the tools? You know, if you look at social media, the way that they've monetized social media is by creating an engaging platform and we give them our data and that's how they drive income. And for us, you know, to be able to look at how we can create adoption in, in technology and digital solutions, there's so much focus on experience that allows us to have that impact. And so... Mm-hmm. I went through my own journey where the technology is a huge part of what we do in HR, but what we have to focus on, our mindset, our people, and our process alongside that technology to really create those great experiences, those processes that drive the data that we need for insights. And so um, from there, I went to Morgan Stanley to do something very similar. Financial services is one of the hardest environments that I've, I've worked in, and it was a great learning experience for me. And I realized that I was so passionate about not just HR technology, but digital HR. How does tech and human work together to deliver more value? And so I joined uh, LeapGen, a consultancy. Very early on, we only had a handful of employees about six and a half years ago now at this point, um, and have been working with clients, helping them solve that problem. How do you get more out of your tech? How do you build better employee experiences? How do you drive better insights from your data? And I've been lucky enough to join the Mercer family this year um, when they are acquired our firm and now lead digital HR transformation for the Mercer organization. Really appreciate that. Part of this podcast series, we've been interviewing series of senior HR executives within the insurance industry, finding out how they've gone around building out and maintaining great culture and a great people experience at their organizations. We've interviewed in the past the CEOs, the founders of these businesses, and they've talked about scaling quickly, bringing in a number of employees at that scale and moving on to the next subject. And really what we focused on this series is analyzing that further and actually seeing what processes need to be put in place, what technology needs to be adopted in order that you can hire fantastic people, great talent, build a great culture and retain those people because it's often an area that's overlooked building businesses and building especially high growth businesses so i think the discussion today around the technology side of that mixing in with you know how that can really benefit the leadership team and then the people that make the business and within insurance certainly the people that make these companies thrive and grow i'd like to ask you first of all around digital hr in general and what you particularly would like to share with us today, maybe about how our listeners, how some of our contemporaries in insurance maybe could understand a little bit more about that side of the business and maybe what you do for some of your clients there already. Absolutely, Nick. So 
depending on where an organization is, you mentioned high growth organizations, you might have a company that's you know doubling, tripling in size over a period of time, or even an organization that's more established. In all of those cases, what we find is that it's incredibly difficult to make the argument for more human resources in human resources. The days of, you know, adding additional staff growing exponentially, it's it's over. You know, we're just, we're past that. We're in a time of let's do more with the same or sometimes more with less. And what we find is that by leveraging technology that we have available to us, I will say it's much better today than it would have been if we had this conversation 10 years ago. And that's a really great thing to be able to say. But by being able to leverage technology, we can help HR work smarter. Our goal is not to create a peanut butter spread, kind of a standard scalable only approach. We don't want to just roll something out to the workforce or roll something out to our talent acquisition leaders or recruiters and not think about their unique needs. But technology today can actually deliver, in some cases, a really personalized and meaningful experience. We're used to this idea of high touch in the past, this idea of white glove. You know, we want to interact with a human. But what as consumers, we're actually really interested in this idea of digital high touch. There's no point in time where I'm shopping for something and I see an error order when I'm checking out, or I'd like to pick up the phone and call someone. Absolutely not. I'd like that to be much more immediate, digital first. And I personally don't want to get on the phone with someone when I'm shopping from the, the luxury of my home. And that's the same for whether it's the medical field, the insurance field, you know, the days are over of wanting to call someone to talk to a broker to be able to determine the the insurance package that you want. And in reality, that's what our employees expect from us as well. There are times where humans should be the main point of contact, but we should be digital first in cases where we can so that the limited human resources that we have access to can be there for those human moments, like a promotion or something unfortunate like a death in the family or even just a difficult coaching conversation. But today we actually use our HR resources to do things like review thousands and thousands of resumes to figure out the right person to talk to or to help point someone towards a leave policy that they're then going to have to explain to them. And those are the types of things that we now have such innovative technology to help with. And I say that it's it's artificial intelligence. It's also just some of the systems that, that we've already had access to, some of the workflow engines. But that's where HR leaders really need to ask the question, what should this look like? And that requires, Nick, that requires unlearning from us in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. HR is one of the oldest professions really out there. And If we want to do things differently, to take a step back, we have to unlearn what we've done in the past and start with a fresh vision and say, how could we do this differently going forward because we have such great new tools for us? So in terms of consultancy and the work and the partnership that you do with your customers there, does that start off with really taking a step back and looking at the overall strategy to start with? I like to talk to clients about something really simple. Let's start with the outcomes that we want to create. And Mm. I challenge them to do something called take the genie test. So I'll use a really kind of foundational example of payroll. Payroll, every single organization has to process payroll. And there are very few organizations that I've ever talked to who say something like, payroll's great. I love it. We love spending time on it. We have exactly the right number of people spending time on it. And there's no friction at all. Think about a genie. Give the payroll leader a genie. And they rubbed that that lamp and the genie came out and they said, you've got three wishes. Do you think they've asked or do you think they should ask to process payroll? Because that's probably what would happen. Could you please go process payroll for me? Please, please take a step back. But in reality, the genie doesn't need to sit in the room for four days and run 32 audits. That's just not what they need to do. We could actually ask the genie to have the right amount of money in everyone's bank accounts 
at the right time. And we could ask that genie that the people who are getting the money understand the amount of money that they've gotten. That's the outcome that we really want. But in HR in the past, we've focused so much on the activities. So Mm -hmm. talent acquisition, time to fill. Time to fill is an activity. Would you ask a genie to help you hire someone quicker? You'd probably ask them to have the right person in the right role when you need them or 100% fully staffed teams. Or maybe you'd go a little bit further upstream and say, I want a you know a pipeline that's rich and robust so I can reach into it and pick out the leader that I want at any point in time. I think our listeners will be reaching out to you to see if you can get hold of this genie for them. Well, and that's the, the thing. If we start with the outcomes, sometimes the activities in the way that we've done them in the past might no longer be what we need to do in the future. And with great technology, especially like generative AI, if we ask ourselves that outcome first, then we say, now what activities add value to get us to that outcome? We might be able to do things more effectively to potentially use technology to do the majority of the process. But if we just focus on a metric like reduce time to fill, we're approaching it from a really different perspective. So when we're talking to our clients, we start with the outcomes that they want to deliver to their business, to their workforce. And then we take a step back and say, now, what great innovative technology do you have access to? And let's help you build a strategy for how you bring that to life. Most of the time, it's not about putting in place a new system. It's about changing, A, better aligning your leadership to your vision, better change enablement plans, listening to your people and actually designing for what's important to them, designing journeys, not just processes, but experiences for folks, and then building that into a system. And so we do that work in our digital transformation work. We start with that strategy. And then once we've really brought leadership along, once we have a clear, actionable plan and the investment associated with it, then we help clients work that plan. So it's not just purely a technology play. It's really looking at a whole holistic approach. A lot of our listeners out there now be thinking about technology. They'll be looking at AI. There's a lot of different AI tools out there. A lot of opportunity challenges as well that come with that. If we start off on the opportunity side of things, Alex, what do you think is the biggest opportunity you are seeing using AI in a HR or talent acquisition function? I think it's probably helpful to answer that question in two ways. I don't mean to be prophetic in any way, but the idea of generative AI, especially, it's going to change the world. And I personally believe it's going to change the world in an incredibly positive way. And we know that that will have huge impacts on human resources. And so the first way I'll answer that is in the long term. I truly believe that we will elevate the role of human resources in a way that we haven't or we've hoped to in the past, but haven't been able to in the eyes of our true business leaders, because we'll be able to not only remove a lot of the friction from finding complex answers around HR policies and programs, but we'll also be able to augment our services to be able to do more. We really see that artificial intelligence, and especially generative AI right now, there will be impacts to certain tasks and certain work, but ultimately we're going to see human resources or humans on our teams augmented or made better by generative AI. The person will still be there. We'll just be able to, to do more and to be more strategic, but that's the long term. And so I'll, I'll speak to the most immediate impacts, and that's the second way I'll answer that question is in the next 12 months, what we expect to see are are more productivity plays, you know, opportunities, as I mentioned, to start with the outcome, 
to work backwards and find ways to achieve those outcomes with less time, with less effort, with less resources. And I would say that we expect to see that the primary point of entry for the average employee or candidate interacting with larger data sets, so things like your candidate information portal or you know your internal knowledge base or portals or that broader set of HR knowledge, we talk about that as a quote-unquote tier zero concept, right? I have direct access to that. I can search. I can find. We expect to see that generative AI's biggest initial impact in the next 12 months within HR will be to help sift through all of that information as transactions and help employees and candidates and all of those who interact with our services just get to the right thing to do more quickly. We've seen a lot of our clients, we've seen a lot of insurance businesses using a lot of that technology already in the business function. So whether that's claims, whether that's underwriting, using it as a great tool to really sift through a large amount of data, the large amount of information forms that they process as part of their organization. So it's great to see that that is now making its way into the human resources side of things. In terms of advice that you might have for an insurance HR executive now looking at deploying AI and deploying the latest technology, if you could offer one piece of advice to our listeners, what would that be right now? If you don't mind, there's a little bit of background that's so valuable when we're thinking about, especially generative AI, right? The the trendy concept of AI right now. And I think to HR leaders, the number one message I would share, and I'll, I'll get to a piece of advice, but AI is not new. It's actually been around since the 1960s. And to be honest, your applicant tracking system that you're using, it has AI. AI is simple workflow. That is AI. We program a set of rules. That's actually the first generation of artificial intelligence. We program a set of rules into a system. We say, you know, if this is job A, this person has to have X years of experience and let's kick them out of the pipeline if that's not the case. That is actually artificial intelligence. Now, the second generation of of artificial intelligence is called machine learning. And instead of us programming those rules, what the machine does is it looks at a really large data set, as you just mentioned, Nick, and it says, hey, I'm guessing these are what the rules are based on the trends I see in the data. And usually a human says, okay, confirm rule A, confirm rule B, let's look at the predictions coming out of it. But it allows us to move more quickly. It's just like Netflix. Netflix is a great example of the second generation of AI. Now, what you can't do to Netflix is say, hey, I'm sitting down with my two-year-old and my husband, and we're going to watch a a show, and I'd like it to be eight minutes long and interesting, culturally appropriate for my two-year-old, and also I don't want to be super bored. Netflix has no way to listen to me and respond to that. Google Maps is a good example of the third generation of AI, which is deep learning. And what it does is it actually, it's able to create these neural connections to to assume what might happen or to predict what might happen. So for example, on Google Maps, let's say I'm driving down a road and all of a sudden there's a traffic jam. It will redirect me. It will say, hey, get off the highway, go around. But what it can now do with deep learning is actually say, hey, Alex, you're getting on the highway at four o'clock, but at 4.30, there's a traffic jam up ahead that's likely to be there. So we'll reroute you well in advance before it happens. It can actually assume what might happen. And it's those three generations of AI, which allow us to move into this fourth generation of generative AI, because we can make assumptions and connections across large data sets. And the key here with what generative AI does differently is it can generate custom new information for you. So it's actually the first HR technology that we've ever had that's goal is to make you happy. 
It wants to make a set of recommendations from all those other types of AI that we just listed. And it wants to say, does this output work for you? Is it answering your question? If you respond, if you go into something like ChatGPT and ask a question two different ways in the same thing, it'll say, hey, why wasn't the first question good enough or the first response good enough? What could I do differently? And that's such a different space to be in is to have this interactive, constantly learning, constantly updating solution that can provide custom responses unique to us. When I think about the advice to HR leaders, that's revolutionary, but it's building off of things we're used to, things we're comfortable with, things that we have already built into our spaces. And so my number one piece of advice would be to embrace it. To embrace it as an individual because it will make you feel more comfortable in the workplace setting to, you know, go at home, use the solutions available to you to plan your next vacation, to figure out the right holiday gifts for someone, to better understand how to have a tough conversation with your child around why they can't kick the cat and use it in your personal life so that you can then better understand the applications at work and be open-minded at work. And as HR leaders, we are not leading the charge for our businesses. That is not what's happening. We're not going into our insurance teams and saying, hey, here's how to use generative AI, but they're talking about it. Join the conversation, sit at the table, learn how they're using it, and then bring that back into HR and look for potential use cases. That's such a great answer, Alex. I'm thinking around the insurance landscape as a whole. And we'll have HR executives who are part of vibrant, fast growth, technology-led organizations. We'll also have HR executives who are working for legacy insurance carriers, legacy brokers, where actually technology adoption is very slow within the business, let alone within HR. There's certainly two challenges, I suppose, in one respect, I think some companies are looking for HR to really lead on this. But then I think other companies, you will have the HR leader will be thinking, right, this is something that we really need to do. We need, really need to embrace. How do I get buy-in from the business? How do I get buy-in, particularly if they're not already using it in the wider organization? Do you have any advice around that about how someone might use some of the areas that we're discussing today to broaden out into their business and to seek opportunity within the wider organization? We do this all the time right now. So um, I'm having conversations both with HR leaders multiple times a week around generative AI, helping to educate them, helping to give them language to be able to talk to their partners, to talk to their teams about it, but also helping to illustrate, to be able to give them real use cases, to show them how it will look. And then what those conversations often lead to are having those same discussions with their peers, with their business leaders. And one of my favorite use cases, for example, is using a sample data set, an entirely sample data set to do something like analyze a large set of people data, ask it questions to show them how the change will look for something as simple as people analytics, where we've had such a hard time making progress, such a hard time showing value. And so... When I think about how to do that, again, the first space is you do need to educate yourself to some degree. I know we can share, you know, we run a podcast called The AI Evolution. There's all kinds of opportunities to explore. But I, I think that there's a number of smaller use cases that organizations can begin to embrace today without organizational buy-in that can help become some of those internally public opportunities to share. Job descriptions are a great example. Uh, try this at home if you haven't yet. Ask ChatGPT to write 
write a job description for you. We all know you can do that. Then ask it to rewrite that job description from the perspective of a cool or edgy company. What it does is it infuses humor. And of course, it's probably too much humor. I'll be honest. If you do something like this, sometimes they go really far where there's a lot of Harry Potter references for some reason. But what you can actually see is how ChatGPT can democratize certain skills and knowledge. I'm not funny. There's nothing, my husband will tell you all the time, there's nothing about me that's funny, but I can use ChatGPT to help an email sound, you know, funnier. I can help it, you know, open enrollment communications going on across the organization. How do we infuse humor in that? It's not confidential. And so while I would never suggest that you put your internal data in any sort of open environment, asking someone to write a job description for an HR business partner or for you know a role in your business, that's absolutely something that you can use the tools that are available in the public market to do. And then you can point to, hey, this would have taken me six hours to do in the past. I would have Googled, found relevant jobs, read them all, combined them, tried not to plagiarize, rewritten it from this, and then ask someone to proofread it to help me make it more humorous. We can do all of that in a span of 10 minutes today with some of the solutions available to us. And those types of case studies are great ways to show peers, to show leaders how we can actually use these tools going forward. Brings me nicely onto the next subject actually around bias and diversity and inclusion is very high up on the agenda for a lot of insurance organizations. You know, how do we attract the very best talent back? How do we make that an inclusive process? How do we make sure that the insurance market is accessible from all sorts of diverse backgrounds? Are there any challenges around using this type of technology when it comes to DE&I at all? Nick, absolutely. And and we all have heard some of the public case studies of you know, Amazon's AI a few years ago that obviously, you know, built its own internal bias. And that is always a risk. And I, I don't want to mislead anyone to say there's no risk associated with this. What I will say is that um, probably two things. There's two things I would leave with you. The first is that the regulations, specifically in the U.S. at the moment, and we do expect coming out of Europe soon, so a few states in the U.S., and again, we believe will come out of uh, out of Europe soon, they are requiring a number of ethical analyses, bias, also that everything is audited as independent third party. Um, so that does give me a bit of assurance. Uh, I've had these conversations with almost every provider in the space. And, you know, we hear things like we've removed names from our algorithms. We've re- removed anything that could create any sort of bias towards one particular group or another. Um, we know, however, that that is just beginning to scratch the surface. We know that there's certain job descriptions that are written to be more appealing to, you know, men versus women. And so, we are using AI from all sides of it. You can actually, again, you could go into ChatGPT and say something like, rewrite this job description to be more appealing to a woman. It's a really interesting exercise to see what it does. And so what I will say is the real trick here is something called humans in the loop. And you'll hear that in the AI space as HITL, humans in the loop. There's also humans above the loop and humans out of the loop. And in this case, there's no world where we would recommend using artificial intelligence that doesn't include humans in the loop. So whether it is a candidate slate, whether it is an email communication, you know, whether it is reviewing someone's performance review to look for potentially, you know, non-positive language. We always recommend that there is a human reviewing the output before it is used and applied. And that is what is so important for us in human resources because our jobs have such such big impacts. And 
I mentioned earlier, I really believe that artificial intelligence, especially this newest generation, will augment our work. And that's because of that potential bias. The best advice that I give to um, HR professionals is to only use generative AI to augment your area of expertise. If I'm over here and I'm a compensation analyst, I shouldn't be using generative AI to you know, help me become a talent acquisition leader. That's over here for what TA should be doing. I might use it to help better understand changing market bands or better understand you know, um, how I can write a job description to become more appealing to a certain audience from a total rewards perspective. But we should be using the years of expertise that put us in our jobs in the first place to then apply to analyzing the output from generative AI. It should never replace the areas of expertise that we already have. Yeah, so not outsourcing the expertise that you've built up using it as a tool to help to deliver that with an even better standard and there are some great tools out there as well just on that point you know there are some great technology and some great tools out there that you know once you've maybe run that job description through chat gbt and then you can then run it through various different dni tools as well as a safeguard on that so there are ways of doing it in an appropriate method so it sounds like the advice is sort of start slow take those tentative steps test it analyze it as you would if you were working on it completely manually before rolling things out more further afield. Absolutely. And, and Nick, I will say, I believe it was a Goldman Sachs investment study that came out earlier this year, and it was not specific to human resources in any way. But what they did was looked at um, larger corporations to say, who has the opportunity to actually make money off of this soon, right? Goldman Sachs, investors, Makes sense as a topic. And what they found was that the organizations that they depicted have the biggest opportunity were Salesforce, but also Workday, ServiceNow, Microsoft. What those have in common is they're they're internal corporate facing solutions in most cases. You know, Salesforce, of course, has more of the CRM side, but they're also really about how we lead our people and and HR. And what they found is that those HR type services have such a large data set, they have the opportunity to build a really viable large language model from it. And they have the the right sales model where they sell SKUs or essentially parts of their modules within their, their platforms. And so what they found was that human resources is actually going to be one of the key areas where we see investment in broader enterprise technology. And we're seeing that now. And it's not the same in some of the more niche industries. There's a everyone has HR. And so it's an area where we're seeing a ton of investment. And I would encourage HR leaders to both look at again, how do you use some of the existing public tools in a safe manner? How do you also join your organization if you're building an enterprise instance of something that is incredibly value for a closed environment? But also talk to the providers that you're using today for HR technology and ask them about it on their roadmap. Ask them about the capabilities that they're building into their solutions. Some of them are even live. And so it doesn't have to be about buying something new. It doesn't have to be about you know building something entirely you know complex into your landscape. You might even have access to some of these types of products in your current current solutions today. And that's really important because employee expectations continue to shift. And Nick, we ask our clients this all the time. It's 2023 right now outside of work, you know, soon 2024. What year does it feel like inside of work? What year does it feel like to your employees when they interact with your services? And we hear things like 2010, 2012, 2013. If you and I had to go back and use mobile devices of 2012, the internet of 2012, we'd be a little disappointed. 
I wouldn't get all of my groceries delivered to my house without having to even place an order. And we have to think about our employee expectations along those lines as well. They're, they don't want to step back in time and use 10-year-old solutions and information. And so we have to keep up and really become as relevant as they expect us to be. Oh, that's such a great point. And certainly within the insurance sector, the employees and our staff and team members, they're the people who really make the business happen. So as well as promoting technology to clients and offering a value proposition to clients, we've really got to look internally as well. And how do we do that with our employees who are the business? I think that's a great lesson for us to think about as we move forward. Alex, time has gone so quickly today in the insurance coffee house. It certainly feels like we've only just really scraped the surface of some of these discussions. Before we go today, would you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if there are some HR leaders, HR executives listening at the moment who are interested in learning more about some of these topics, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Absolutely. Nick, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Alex Zia. We also, again, we run that AI Evolution podcast. Um, it won't get you yep, directly in touch, but I would absolutely recommend checking that out. We do things like break down a large language model in common terms. And so it's a great resource as you're thinking about it. You mentioned you know, just advice and, and thinking about this. And I'd love to share, Nick, I got a piece of advice very early on, actually, from one of those various CEOs at Timeic that I worked so closely with at a very unprepared time in my career. I got this piece of advice, which I think is so important in the digital space and in the technology space. And it was that you shouldn't take a job unless you're at least 25% incompetent at that job. And the gentleman who said this to me then, of course, very quickly said, you probably shouldn't be more than 50% incompetent. That's probably probably a bit too much. But his point there was, if you really want to grow in your career, finding a space that you can grow into is important. And I think that that's a really great message when we think about technology, because when I you know first implemented Workday, no one had done it. And it didn't matter how many years of experience I had or how long I'd been working on this because it was new to everyone. And that's the same space that we're in with generative AI. And so if we wait for everyone to become qualified, if we wait for us to really feel like we're 100% competent, we are going to be able to really take advantage of it in the, the time frame that we have available to us and in the ways that we believe employees are expecting it. And so I would just push everyone, whether it's a job, whether it's a, an activity, whether it's just you know, what do you wake up and do this week? Think about trying to do something that might be a little new to you, growing into that space that might be a little bit uncomfortable. That's how we build really interesting careers. And that's how we do really cool, exciting new things in the digital space. Here, here to that. I think that's just such a great positive way to end the podcast today. It's been really great speaking to you. I think that'd be very, very inspiring. And, you know, it's a subject area where certainly... Some people are very excited and enthusiastic about the opportunities. You know, other leaders are a little bit hesitant, a little bit cautious. Part of this process is learning more about it and learning more about the opportunities. So I think you've done a fantastic job of that today. And sure, there'll be plenty of our listeners reaching out to you after the show. Alex, thank you for your time. Really great to see you today. Hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Nick, thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate the time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.